Hello and welcome to Movement is Alive, a podcast brought to you by Intelligent Health. In today's episode, I chat with Deborah Gallick, director of Henpicked, the UK's leading provider of menopause and the workplace services. They provide training, videos, e-learning and policy and communications expertise to line managers and colleagues. Their goal is to make all organisations menopause-friendly employers. On Menopause Awareness Day, we will delve into the world of menopause in the workplace, what symptoms to look out for and how to manage them, debunking any misconceptions. We also examine the role exercise can play in the menopause, plus the importance of making menopause an inclusive subject that no one is afraid or embarrassed to talk about. If you are interested in finding out more about Henpicked, then please check our bio below. Remember, if you have any questions, comments about today's episode, or simply want to get in touch with us, then please email podcast at intelligenthealth.co.uk. That's podcast at intelligenthealth.co.uk. I think uh, you're right. If I could turn back the clock 10 years, we should have been doing this years ago, shouldn't we? But you're right. We are an aging population in the UK and for that matter, the global north. Menopausal women or women over 50 are the fastest growing workforce demographic. And of course, we're living for longer. We stand a one in six chance of living to be 100. We're working for longer. So the retirement ages have changed. And for so many of us, we may never even retire. Menopause is a great time to take stock and say, what's my next chapter going to be like? Because, you know, you've got the symptoms, but also thinking about your long-term health. So firstly, thank you so much for joining us today, Deborah. I thought I'd begin by sharing some kind of more basic facts about the menopause for our listeners. The menopause occurs when a woman hasn't menstruated in 12 consecutive months and can no longer become pregnant naturally. And it usually starts between the ages of 45 and 55, but it can develop before or after this age range. And today on our episode, we're joined by Deborah, who is the director of Henpicked, who are a leading provider of menopause in the workplace services. So I just wanted to be Again, could you share maybe some of the most common symptoms of the menopause for us, please? Good morning, Beth. And yes, of course. Um, and you're right, actually, the menopause is defined as the point, a one day in time event, which happens or the landmark is when you've not had a period for 12 months. But actually, menopause is a, a transition which happens over many years. And a lot of people don't realise that in what's known as the perimenopause, peri simply meaning around. Now, during in this time of transition, we hear a lot from people around hot flushes and things like that. They're the stereotypical symptoms that we associate with the menopause, but actually it's much more than that. Symptoms can be, and probably from the perspective of intelligent health, I'm going to classify this as three types of symptoms. There's the physical symptoms like hot flushes, difficulty sleeping, aches and pains, changes in periods, changes in things like um, urinary tract infections and urging continence, those sort of physical symptoms. I'm going to add to there as well because it's very important from exercising and, uh, and, and well-being generally. A lot of us don't like the weight gain. Um, so they're some of the more common physical symptoms, but the psychological symptoms are the ones that the majority of us don't know anything about. They're the ones that can take us by surprise. And by that, if I think of the ones that we hear about most, brain fog, I'm sure many of us are getting used to seeing that word, but difficulty in concentrating or forgetting things, anxiety, 
is another big one and changes in mood. And actually, it's World Menopause Day um, right now. So what we need to be mindful of is this year's theme for World Menopause Day is cognition and mood. So very much in the psychological symptoms. And I said at the beginning, I'll go with three lots of symptoms because many of us associate and understand now that there are side effects of hormonal change during the menopause transition. But it's much, much more than that. We need to be thinking about our long-term health as well, because changes in our bodies can affect things like, for example, bone health, heart health, very, very much should be front of mind and considered alongside symptoms. And kind of how you mentioned just then about the perimenopause as well, the symptoms can kind of begin from sometimes four years or even like a decade before actually starting to go through the menopause and how you've touched upon the memory issues and things like that as well. Why is it kind of sometimes easy to get confused between knowing if it is the menopause or if it is something else? And do you think there's sometimes an issue of really like diagnosing when women are actually experiencing it and getting their doctors to actually listen to them in the first place? It's a really good question. I often refer to perimenopause as the most mysterious part of the transition because you don't necessarily get notification that you are experiencing hormonal changes. And I know when we do training in the workplace, and um, we often have people coming along to the sessions because they think, oh, you know, menopause is probably on the horizon. I should probably go and listen to this and join in. But actually, when they see the symptoms upon the slide, that's when you can see a light bulb moment for many um, because they'll say, well, I'm already experiencing that and I'm being treated for that, but I had no idea that could be as a result of the hormonal changes during the menopause transition. And that's very empowering that they do recognise that because being aware of it means that you can read up and you can think about what's right for you and perhaps talk to your healthcare practitioner around, actually, this is what I'm experiencing this is how it's affecting me. Um, make sure you, they can ask the question, do you think this could be the menopause or as a result of the menopause transition? Um, and you're right, diagnosis is, um, I'm, I'm not going to, I probably will say the word tricky because for those of us that are over the age of 45 and otherwise presenting healthily, i.e. your healthcare practitioner doesn't think something else is going on, it's a matter of diagnosing you by your symptoms. So it's really important that we tune into what's going on for us and recognize those symptoms. And as I say, understand the range that, you know, you don't just think, well, I'm not experiencing hot flushes, so it can't be the menopause or my periods are the same as they've always been. Or maybe those that are taking birth control or have the marina coil and have no periods may not even recognize if those changes start to happen. Um, so it really is important that we're in tune and understand what's going on within our own bodies. And according to recent research, menopausal women are demographically sort of the fastest growing group of workers in the UK. Yet kind of despite that, there's a real kind of mystery around it. And there's still that kind of taboo that no one really speaks about it. You've got those certain ideas, you think it might be like that, but nobody really knows. And presumably that's where Hempicked kind of comes in and can go into workplaces and kind of dispel some of those myths and just start speaking about it openly and having those frank conversations with people. I think uh, you're right. If I could turn back the clock 10 years, we should have been doing this years ago, shouldn't we? But you're right. We are an aging population in the UK and for that matter, the global north. Menopausal women or women over 50 are the fastest growing workforce 
demographic. And of course, we're living for longer. We stand a one in six chance of living to be 100. We're working for longer. So the retirement ages have changed. And for so many of us, we may never even retire. And, and when you start to think, you know, for example, if you're retiring at 67 and you're starting your menopause transition, you know, even with the average age of 51 and the transition starting so much, well, years earlier, you're experiencing your menopause in the middle of your career or maybe at the height of your career. Um, so it's really important that you know we do start to understand and raise awareness of menopause and just as importantly put the education in place there are so many myths around the menopause we see them all the time or what people have been told about it it's really important that everybody understands the facts and for that matter i would say their options of managing menopause symptoms and long-term health so we can make informed choices about what's right for us There are lots of different choices and maybe we'll come on to that later. And do you think it's something that's really relevant for the whole workforce to really understand, even from a younger person's perspective? I think it's really interesting to hear stories of people who are experiencing it or maybe perimenopausal and kind of just hearing those stories. I know at Intelligent Health, we started having a bit of a coffee morning type chat and just hearing others speak about like even hormonal differences in their periods and things like that. Like it kind of opens up to so many different revenues as women that sometimes you you kind of discuss, but you don't always go into such detail, which I know from my perspective is really interesting to know because you just don't really know unless people share. You don't. That's a that's a good point. And a couple of things that you mentioned there, who needs to know about the menopause? Um, I know my choose to challenge last year was um, I often see it written that menopause affects half the population. Um, and that's not true. It affects half of us firsthand and the rest of us through our relationships, whether that's with a partner, family member, friend, colleague. And so it's important we all understand it so that we can support ourselves if it's you personally, but also those that are around us. At some point in our life, we'll be working with, living with, and maybe have a child going through the menopause or maybe even a, a parent going through the adult, going through the menopause. We all need to know about it. So that's the first one. And I think it's a really good point that in helping people understand the menopause, can start to understand differences as well, can't we, throughout our lives. You know, when you start to bring it down to, we are human beings. From the day we're born to the day we die, our hormones change. Um, And through that, um, our lifetimes, we'll all experience puberty, um, which is when the, the first, is it the first? Yes, first significant hormonal change we'll all experience. And we all live through that. But whether it's um, our periods, pregnancy, whether your hormones are changing as a result of fertility treatment, for example, or other conditions, for example, um, some cancers are treated with estrogen um, and other conditions are treated with hormones, which can also put your hormonal balance out of sync. Um, So whether it's any of those or um, gender confirmation for that matter, understanding that these symptoms are a result of significant hormonal changes in our bodies. And so therefore, you know, we need to be mindful that others can experience symptoms as a result of similar sort of changes during our lifetime. And so when did you first decide to kind of establish Henpicked and when did that all sort of begin? 
Uh, well, Henpick started in 2012, 2013, um, which is Henpicked is Happiness, Health and Wealth. It's a community website. Um, you know, I recognise that there was lots of things out there for teenagers or for mums, for example, with mums net and net mums. Um, but I didn't think there was a lot for those of us that are in midlife. And once the website and the community started to be established, we noticed that there was a trend. Every time we published anything on menopause, we'd see the traffic spike. But just as importantly, we were seeing comments like, I'm really struggling with the menopause and I don't know what to do about it. Or, um, you know, that people weren't getting the help and support and were really struggling, um, which is where we said, well, actually, what can we do about this? Um, which is where we wrote the book, Menopause, The Change for the Better, which came from the community, actually. And um, we said, right, give us all of your questions and your thoughts and your fears and your worries about the menopause. And we'll work with experts across the whole of the UK to write a book, which is what we did. Um, but actually, my background was always in corporate life. And one of the things that I believed in and still do today was that if organisations understood that menopause can have a significant impact on somebody's life, somebody's working life. And that could have an impact on that organisation in that we know, for example, that one in four women consider leaving work during their menopause. And, you know, it can affect things like time off and productivity, and for that matter, creating an inclusive culture within the organisation. So this is a win-win. It's good for individuals and it's good for employers as well. Um, I would have to say that we've been training in workplaces. I think I wrote the first article about it in 2015, which was just my musings of how can we be in an aging population um, with a shrinking talent pool and let talent leave because we don't get the menopause. We don't understand it. And, uh, you know, fast forward to today and the 22nd of September saw the very first Menopause Friendly Employer Awards. Now, I would never have guessed that that was possible back in 2015. But when you see what these remarkable organisations and individuals within them have done during this time, it kind of blows my mind, actually. And I'm looking forward to the day when every organisation can say, that they are menopause friendly because, you know, Beth, right at the beginning, we talked about um, lack of understanding around menopause and actually employers are doing so much to change that. And it's not just in work that has an impact, it's outside work as well. You know, hopefully it's changing the culture generally in the rest of the UK as everybody gets used to saying the word menopause and doesn't feel embarrassed to talk about it or hide behind the fact, oh, can't possibly be the menopause, I'm not that old. Um, so, you know, we can be changing perceptions and with it, um, changing people's lived experience during this time. So kudos to those employers that have taken action and are doing something. Definitely. And like you say, it's kind of that ripple effect that it then just goes beyond that so much more and it changes people's perceptions and their understandings. And when people understand more, they're more tolerant and just get things a lot more. And obviously there have been changes with employers, kind of some employers bringing in like days that people can take off, whether it's like for period leave or like menopause leave and things like that, which seem like such great improvements that wouldn't have existed maybe five, 10 years ago. So just in that short space of time for that sort of change to have happened must be fantastic. And looking ahead as well, it must be really positive and just reaching people you thought maybe you'd never get to in a sense. Oh, you're right, actually, because, um, you know, I did say right at the beginning, perhaps if we'd have started this 10 or 20 years ago, it would have cracked it by now. Um, but when you think six years ago, we couldn't find an employer in the UK with a policy 
And 2018 CIPD research said one in 10 did. I think it was Nuffield Health last World Menopause Day that said 20% of organisations. Now, that's quite great growth. You know, all we need now is for all of those 20 employers that or 20% of employers that are doing this to find a friend and Mm -hmm. convert them. And then we'll be at 50% and then do it again. You know, how quickly can we accelerate change around this? Because it really is worth it. I wondered if maybe you could speak a bit more about the kind of training that you do provide. And when you go into the workplaces, what kind of tips and things do you first kind of give? Yes, that's an interesting one, isn't it? Because where to start? Mm. If you want to be a menopause-friendly employer, how do you actually start? Where do you begin? Um, Because when very often when we're talking to employers, we do sometimes find people are sort of saying, well, I I can think back to, I think it was HS1, I know it was HSBC UK, and one of their HR people was saying, well, you know, we've put on this event, what if nobody comes? Um, What if nobody, you know, because it's Coming, coming to a room to discuss menopause, you might have some people saying, I'm not really sure if I'm putting up for that. But actually, what we find is as soon as you start talking about it, it's almost like, a, I think it was Evelyn Dickey that said in Seven Trent, it was like an organisational sigh of relief because people are already struggling with it. They're just waiting for this conversation to start. Um, so in creating an organisation where Everybody understands that this is important. That, you know, we talked about policies and guidance, and that's a document and hopefully signed off by senior leaders that says if you're struggling with the menopause and you go to the internet or the intranet and type in menopause, hopefully your organization's approach, that policy or guidance document comes up. But you, then on your company intranet, if you can start to share stories and perhaps publish your um, leader's view on why this is important. It gives everybody permission to start talking about the menopause. So that's starting to get the conversation going and do encourage others to share their story as well. Because whether it's somebody experiencing early menopause or somebody that's supporting somebody that's um, experiencing the menopause at home or a senior leader or somebody that is, you know, wants to share their story, it does gain momentum. And the more you say the menopause or the more you say the word, the less of a taboo it is. And so it starts to get the ball rolling. When it comes to training, um, different organisations have different approaches on this. And that's right. Every organisation is as unique as every individual in it. But some organisations will start with having, um, and we usually recommend, don't just necessarily go in with a colleague training session, because, you know, if you're training up your colleagues and that somebody says, well, actually, I've got a, um, I'm, I'm struggling with the menopause and goes to talk to their line manager and that line manager hasn't had any training, then they're going to look like a rabbit in the headline and the the whole conversation won't necessarily go the way you'd hoped. And so a structured approach works really well, whether you're training up your HR people, occupational health, then train up your line managers and train up your colleagues. So everybody is getting that experience. Um, And, you know, for line managers, some of them really worry about it. I see so many statistics that say individuals aren't confident to talk to their line managers about menopause, but actually line managers aren't born with this knowledge. You do need to train it in. And very often we always ask two questions. How confident do you feel to talk about the menopause? And how how much do you know about the menopause? And how confident do you feel talking about it? And those, those numbers are really low at the beginning of, say, for example, a webinar. But by the end of our hour and 15, those numbers are completely different because people 
understand the facts. And that's a good, solid foundation then. So when you do do your colleague session and you do talk to them about ages, stages, symptoms, solutions, what help and support is available, what's their option, how to talk to their line managers about this, um, you know that they're going to get a very different experience, hopefully a supportive line manager. So it just makes it so much easier. Other training organisations like to do is train up champions. So just like you might have mental health first aiders, many, many organisations now have menopause champions. And that's great because if you just want a listening ear or if you're struggling and you want somebody to talk to, to you know, perhaps if you still don't feel confident talking to your line manager, you've got somebody there who you can sort of check in with and say, you know, this is this is what I'm experiencing and I'm thinking of having this conversation, but help me understand how best to have it. What would you do in this situation? So organisations are getting more and more of them are getting champions. And it probably brings me back to the reason it's worth it is because being an ageing population, having a shrinking talent pool, knowing that some lots of individuals are thinking about leaving during this time, this is a programme which pays back dividends very, very quickly. We see how much employees thank their employers for putting this sort of training on for them because where else are they going to get level of information and engagement if it's not in that session just I suppose knowing that they feel supported within the workplace is such a it seems like such a simple thing but it's also such an important thing to have that and to have the basis of that moving forward as well I wondered can you remember the first company you worked with when you first sort of set it up and could you maybe speak about that? Yeah, sure. Actually, because we're at a little bit of a milestone now because um, we held the very first menopause in the workplace conference. We thought it was the first in the UK. We now think it was the first in the world. Um, and we did manage to attract quite a few organisations. This is five and a half years ago, longer, actually. It's coming up for six years and, you know, there were the likes of um, PepsiCo, Morrison's, Police Forces, NHS Trust, Fire and Rescue, E.ON were there, Seven Trent were there, various universities were there. So these are the organisations that were quite curious because we'd rung them and said, you know, we're going to do this about menopause. And, you know, we did get a few people saying, sorry, what? Did you say menopause? Why would we do this? But actually, once we'd explained the current reality, what was going on probably in their organisation for their employees right now, they did start to say, well, actually, we do need to do something about this. And I think the first menopause policy, although they called it a guidance document, was in Seven Trends, and that was launched in July 2017. Um, so, you know, they were really trailblazing at that time, and that was followed by E.ON, who published theirs, and the University of Leicester, who published theirs in October. So from that conference, we'd already got um, momentum rolling with those three. And yeah, you know, I think it was probably, you think it's taboo now. People sort of say menopause is taboo now. Try doing that in 2015 or 2016. But the feedback from those sessions immediately was so hugely, overwhelmingly positive that that's when we started to say, well, actually, this is what these organisations did. This is how they did it. This is what their colleagues said as part of helping others understand, actually, this is what good looks like. So hopefully, I think that inspired lots of organisations to get on board and start doing something in their organisations. So yeah, I think if I was uh, you know, looking back, 
I think we were all quite nervous how people were going to take it. Uh, but actually, if I look at Seven Trends, um, we're still doing training in Seven Trent now because you still get staff turnover. And at that very first event, we announced it on the Friday morning that we were going to be holding a menopause training session in their what they called their town hall, which was their meeting room, which was set up for about 40 people on round tables. And I think it was probably around lunchtime that we realised that we were going to have to take the tables out because there were 100 people in that room. And then we ran it again and there were 100 people again and then six months later and I think a lot of that is because to your point earlier it's not just those of us that are experiencing it that wanted to know those audience groups in seven trends were men women um, they'd got their chief exec sitting on the front row their director of water here yeah, he's sitting on the second row actually but he'd already sent an email out to his predominantly male organisation, you know, those that work on the water plant and the like, and said, this is something that everybody needs to know about. I open to say, you know, I need to know about this because this is something my wife will be experiencing. Um, so that was really great to go with that. This isn't just for women right from the get-go on those. The HSBC UK one was um, very, very interesting because we were all nervous around what if nobody comes, but it turned out to be one of their biggest events they've ever held. Um, so it was it was live in their auditorium, but it was actually broadcast to other officers and, you know, they're having to put on extra meeting rooms to watch it. So really first class. But of course, HSBC UK went on to be the UK's first menopause friendly accredited employer. Um, so they kept it going and involved lots and lots of people. And I guess the extra thing that I have noticed over this time, talk about what would help you during this time in the workplace. And for the vast majority, it's usually small, simple low-cost things that make the difference. And sometimes it's just knowing somebody's there and can be a listening ear, or sometimes just the relief that, you know, if I'm having one of those days, I can just go, just bear with me a moment. Uh, you know, normal service will return at any moment without feeling embarrassed about it, without people thinking people might be judging you for it. And um, so it's such a worthwhile programme of activity in any organisation, large or small. Definitely. It's just... It's such a fascinating topic to me. A topic as well that is interesting, I think, to delve into more is menopause and exercise, because I feel like that's not really been publicised as much as yet. So do you think by keeping active, can that really help in managing those symptoms? Are there any easy exercises that women can try because maybe they're not feeling up to exercising, but... We all know exercise is good for us. So are there some sort of easier things maybe you could recommend? But there are lots of options that are available to us during the menopause. And you're right, very often that we, we read a lot and there's a lot around um, healthcare routes, the HRT, for example, or the herbal route too. Um, but actually lifestyle can have a huge impact on our menopause, actually throughout our lives, isn't it? But menopause is a great time to take stock and say, what's my next chapter going to be like? Because, you know, you've got the symptoms and I'll come back to that, but also thinking about your long-term health. And as our bodies change, for example, our composition changes. So our muscles may not be as toned as they used to be, but we might not be cutting back on our calories. So it's a great time to take stock and say what's good for me. Now, when it comes to symptoms, some of these are counterintuitive in terms of exercise, because I was reading something and we've seen evidence on this that things like 
high intensity interval training. Fabulous for managing hot flushes, apparently. Doesn't you know, sometimes I think, well, getting hot and sweaty is managing your hot flushes. How does that work? But, you know, from the physical activity side, then yes, exercise is very, very good, whether that's improving your sleep. Don't we all sleep better when we're um, looking at exercise generally and keeping active? So, and you know, you get a good night's sleep and you feel so much better. You can take on the world if you don't get a good night's sleep and you're in that routine of insomnia, something we hear a lot from people then, you know, that's going to make everything feel worse. And so thinking about sleep, hot flushes, I've mentioned, weight gain, one of those symptoms we all hate, you know, getting a little bit rounder when you're getting older. So actually increasing your levels of activity is very, very important. You say, which is the best exercise? And don't want to sound trite, but the exercise that you actually do. If you hate going to the gym, you don't have to go to the gym. You can do whatever it is that feels good for you, whether that's dancing around in the kitchen, taking the dogs for a walk, going out for a walk with friends, very good for companionship too. But making sure you're keeping active. I don't know, what's the government um, recommendations? 150 minutes worth of exercise every day, every week. Mm-hmm. That's not a lot to do if you're doing it on a regular basis. And to be fair, the more in the habit you get, the better. Personally, I wear uh, my iWatch and I was horrified how sedentary I was before when I first got my um, watch. But every so often now it tells me it's a good time to get up and have a walk around. Particularly during COVID, I think we've all been sat in offices for a lot longer. We've dialed down on our exercise rather than dialing it up. So whether that's getting up and up from your your desk every 30 minutes and walking around for a bit, it all helps during this time. And you're right, you know, if you're if you're thinking that you might have a flooding incident or you're, you're struggling with, say, for example, urinary issues, you might not want to put leggings on and go to your gym. So do what's right for you. But you can always build it up. Can't you? You can always build that that sort of element up. And that's that's for symptoms. But I've mentioned long-term health. And I think that's really, really important to consider exercise for managing your long-term health, whether that's your heart health, um, but particularly those of us who are post-menopause, thinking about your bone health is absolutely essential. You know, it's it can be the silent killer, this one. You don't know you've got problems with your bone health until you have your first fracture. So things like resistance training and load-bearing exercise training is particularly good for bone health. So, uh, so yes, this is one of the keys that whether you're thinking of HRT or herbal approach, don't forget the exercise and your nutrition. Absolutely essential during this time for managing symptoms and thinking about long-term health as well. And you mentioned earlier writing the book that you wrote. I wondered, like, do you continue to work with experts along the way? And obviously things are developing all the time and how things are approached and things like that as well. And it can still be quite a confusing thing for a lot of people. They may do a lot of research into it, personal research, may see a GP, and sometimes you get that conflicting advice. So it's kind of finding that right balance for yourself. But do you find that going maybe to the experts is the best approach? My recommendation would be, because we all know ourselves um, through this, so I would start by keeping a diary 
of your symptoms and how your man- menopause is, is might be affecting you. It, it, we, we can forget. We might start with um, thinking, actually, I'm just not feeling great. But, you know, if you can keep a, a record of your symptoms and understand how the menopause is affecting you, read up. Uh, and I would say expert advice on this one. So trusted websites like your own. Women's Health Concern, British Menopause Society have got resources on there too. Henpicked Menopause Hub is all expert information. So read up um, because as, as individual as our symptoms are, and I, I would say this, that we're all different. You know, I wouldn't sort of um, say I know what my symptoms were. Um, and we used to do exercises when we were more in the room, when we did training before COVID. And we usually didn't find two people on the table, a table of 10 who have the same symptom. So we're all very, very different. So understanding our symptoms reading up about what might be right for us, because again, we'll be individual on this. We all have different personal philosophies. Some people will say, well, actually, I don't want to go on HRT. Nothing against it. Just don't go with pharma. I'd much rather manage through my lifestyle and exercise and diet. And you might have those that say, actually, I think HRT would be particularly good for me. There's no right way of managing your symptoms and long-term health, just what's right for you. So keep your diary, read up on experts and then book an appointment. We always say, always say, talk to your healthcare practitioner, but do your prep first. So you're going in and the structure of the conversation is much more around, I'm, I'm here to talk about my menopause. This is what I'm experiencing. This is how it's affecting me. This is what I've read up about. This is what I think might be right for me. What do you think based on my medical history? And that is a structure for a much stronger, much better, much more productive conversation with your GP or healthcare practitioner. Mm -hmm. Don't forget, it's very often nurses in practices that um, may be a HRT expert. So once you've done all of that, um, my top tip would be when you're in the practice to set up your appointment, say who in the practice is the best person to talk to about menopause. Might not be a usual GP. You might have to wait a little bit longer, but it's better to talk to somebody who specialises or has a particular interest in the menopause. You know, do your prep, take it in there. And if you don't get what you're expecting, then don't forget you do have the right of a second opinion. Now, I know for many of us, that might be simply phoning upon a different day and asking for a different doctor rather than saying, I don't agree with what you're saying and I want you to refer me to one of your other colleagues. Some of us might not feel like doing that. Make sure you do your prep and your reading up and things and, and you know, your health's your responsibility. Uh, so um, so do do your best to, to do all of that. Take somebody with you too, if you think it's going to help. I know I took my husband and kind of it was a bit strange at first, but I'm glad I did. It's kind of that reassurance, isn't it, of having someone there. And also I know even just for general medical appointments, sometimes it's nice to have a second person because you might be so focused on one thing and completely miss what they say about something else. So you kind of pick up on different things and then you can compare afterwards and have that really fuller picture. It's a really good point. From my perspective, um, it was helpful because I was describing the physical symptoms, whereas my husband who, um, you know, we've been married 20 25 years and he went straight in with the she's a nightmare to live with type of thing which I was a little bit horrified about at the time but actually he was right he knew me very well and he knew I wasn't behaving how I normally would I'm normally a very calm person but I was you know 
pretty short fuse during that time. So uh, um, so he was helpful in that. And then, yeah, you're right. Afterwards, the conversation was much easier around, actually, I didn't know you were experiencing that. I didn't realise how bad that was. And does this feel right for you? And no, it, it, it involved him in the conversation. So yeah, that's better for us all, I think. And do you think there's certain elements that every company should kind of have? For example, if they had like a menopause toolkit of like all different things they could have, what other kind of key components do you think are really essential for like workplaces to kind of understand and kind of utilise? Utilise. I I would say um, what I've seen working best in all of these years. I mean, we've mentioned policies and guidance documents, but they're documents. How are you going to bring that to life? How are you going to communicate it? How are you going to make sure everybody's read it? How do you know your line managers um, are tapped in with it? So that's one key element. And I would say big ears during this time, because, you know, this isn't something you just push out and everybody's suddenly going to feel, okay, well-educated about the menopause. Do involve your teams in this. And I think one of the things I think is um, I see so many so often are support groups within organisations where somebody might, you know, some people call them menopause cafes, some people will call them menopause meetups. I think there's the hot flush group in one of the other organisations or Club 51, which I thought was particularly inspiring. I didn't, I didn't get that one my first time, but they were saying actually... Club 51 sounds more like Club Tropicana rather than Menopause Cafe. But using those opportunities to bring people together um, and talk about their experiences, people that you know they feel comfortable talking about menopause with. So support groups are fabulous for that. But also, if the organisation is saying, this is what we're doing, what would be helpful for you? What's getting in the way of your workplace environment that right now that we could change to make your experience better? And having the support groups as a feedback loop, because I know um, HSBC UK, when they started their campaign, one of the things they didn't realise was a problem in their organisation was that it was near impossible to get hold of a fan without filling in copious amounts of forms. And once they knew that, they changed the process and, you know, you can even have a a fan um, delivered to you if you're working from home. You know, that was just a simple thing that they did, just taking out the process, but they didn't realise it was a problem until they asked. And the training we've already mentioned um, earlier, and then I think good communications and engagement, because as easy as it is for me to say, let's talk about the menopause, do nothing else to be honest with you Ben mm-hmm. um it's one of those it's different for some it's not an easy thing to start say menopause whether that's because you think it's a personal matter that's nothing to do with anybody else or whether you're worried that somebody is going to judge you for it or you might feel embarrassed or even from a cultural perspective we know in some cultures and certain um, races it's just not talked about at home. So getting your communications going makes it easier for everyone to be able to talk about menopause. And hopefully those that find it more difficult will be able to join in with that. I know um, we've done training in organisations in different languages because it was easier to hear about it in your own language and English isn't the first language for everyone. Um, So for those individuals, it made quite a difference to hear the session in their own voice. So, and, you know, we mentioned some of the, what's getting in the way of your workplace environment, the physical environment, you know, is it 
is the temperature control? Have you got a uniform that is making people feel hot and bothered? Or have you got a uniform that's got um, you know, wicking fabric or a kind of cut? Or can people order a second uniform if they need to wash them more frequently? Access to cold drinking water, if possible, showers, etc., etc. But being really tuned in to your work environment, because all, all organisations are different, will enable you to say, actually, if that's a problem for those that are experiencing the menopause, what can we do about it? And keep going. You know, this is, you know, I mentioned um, Seven Trends and what they did in 2017. They've not given up. They've continued to keep the education flowing for new joins, for new line managers, adding it into induction programs. And I know one of the things that I was quite chuffed about last July, we saw the first organisation in the UK, which was Queen Elizabeth Hospital in Kings Lynn. And they put in their job advert that they're a menopause-friendly employer. Now, I the thing about that is, as a menopausal woman myself, would I go and work for that organisation or that organisation? And that mm. would attract me for the reason of, I think they'd understand if I you know, hit a bump in the road during my menopause transition, that's somewhere that I know would be understanding and therefore a great place for me to work. There's, there's lots that organisations can do. And I think getting started, just get started. And where would you kind of like to see it go in the future? Something you'd really like to happen that might really take it to that next level? I've already made mentioned the progress so far and I really can't wait till we get to a stage where people say, you're not a menopause-friendly employer. How odd? It's a matter of how quickly can we get there? Um, because I think we, we will have achieved all we want to achieve when we get to a stage where people say, menopause of course I know all about the menopause symptoms not really I knew what to look for and I knew what to do about it and that's really got to be the end game because that's that that'll be good for us all and I often think about my daughter's 28 uh, and I often think about actually by the time she gets to my age um, or by the time I was 45 when I started my menopause transition and by the time she gets to that age this shouldn't be a problem anymore that that would be the um, uh, utopia for me definitely I've got some kind of more quick fire questions for you now to sort of finish but how do you keep active yourself oh I am active myself I, I mentioned my iWatch earlier and that was a turning point for me because when you are so busy it can be the easiest thing to drop off can't it but actually if you prioritize it the other way and say I have a lot more energy and I sleep better when I exercise so I, I would say what's my favorite body pump I like the gym, actually. I had this conversation with some of my friends. I actually do like the gym because I like going and meeting people that I see there every time I go. And body pump's great for me because it always makes my heart race. Um, I can challenge myself. They make it different. And I'm getting all of the um, load-bearing exercise and things for my bone health. So tick, tick, tick. But that's not the only thing I do. I mentioned about getting up from my desk terrible habit of not getting up from my desk during COVID. So I do have a reminder to get up and have a quick walk around. And I like to walk as well. I changed my habits during COVID because I was never a big walker. Um, but now rather than taking the car, I can go to the supermarket and pick things up in you know, it doesn't take me 20, 25 minutes there and 25 minutes back. It wouldn't have been that much less if I'd have taken the car. So getting into the habit of saying, actually, I'll just walk. It's a nice day. So that's a combination. That's my preference. And why is movement so important within your life? Energy. 
it, it really is energy. And I, I feel, um, and bearing in mind World Menopause Day theme is cognition and mood. My mood is very different when I've exercised. Um, even if sometimes I'll, I'll say when I get to the class, I go, oh, I really don't feel like it today. And afterwards I go, I go, you know, feeling much better and feeling like I'm really glad I did that. Um, because it set me up and it's actually refueled me, not exhausted me. Um, so, yeah, I, I would say I think for me a shift was getting something and monitoring how little I was doing. And I have a look at my weekly summary every week to say, actually, I've, do, I've gone over my 150. Very often done more than that. I'm getting quite competitive with the tracking on on here you know if I have a week when I haven't done as much I really do think actually next week then I'll make up for it so it's important for us all to do and do you have like a best or funny memory whilst playing sport maybe at your body pump class or something you kind of look upon fondly from a sporting point of view I think probably the worst thing I am quite clumsy at the gym uh, so yeah um, I think I was actually in a blaze class which is high intensity interval training I thought I'd give it a go and I did it really well for six months but uh, it was just the, the pace was just too much moving from equipment to equipment to equipment um, and yeah um, I, I was I did a TED talk and I was sporting a wonderful bruise on my face which was just where I, I just I just lifted the um, weight too much the wrong way and kind of went over and landed with the weight on my face and it was, I'd, be, I'd been looking forward to that TED talk but I'd spent quite a bit of time trying to um, hide the bruise on my face it stood there for ages I just thought do you know what I'm just too clumsy for blaze so I've gone back to body pump now uh, but it's one of those where you just think oh do you know and, and yet I've seen that recording and I just thought it's so obvious I've just got a really bruised cheek <laughs> not really a funny incident but it was just one of those as a when it, when it comes down to picking the exercise yeah I know high intensity interval training burns calories faster and it's really good for every so many things but it's really more important that you enjoy it so yeah I've gone back to my friends in the pump class it sounds like a safer option as well as opposed to you <laughs> I'm quite clumsy and it's just whenever I try anything like that it's just like no you just oh, know that it's <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you don't want to have that, that sort of thing going on, do you? And it's, um, yeah, it happened very, some, a similar sort of incident a couple of weeks before that. So for me, it was, it was the, it was the last straw. For me, the body pump is, I, I like the music. I like being able to have a chat with people in between the different exercises and go, oof, that was hard, wasn't it? And I liked that one. I don't say that quite so much. Um, but, you know, you get to the end of it and you feel really great. And you all walk out together. So, you know, it's not just, for me, it's uh, as much about the friendship camaraderie. I know those people, the people that go to Body Pump through joining the class, never met them before ever. Whereas, uh, you know, that's, it's quite nice to sort of have somebody that will save you space or help you pack it away if you're sort of rushing off somewhere and things. So yeah, that one's still my favourite. And where can our listeners go to find out more information about everything we've kind of discussed today? Um, if you're looking for menopause information, I would say Henpicked Menopause Hub. If you just put that in um, Google, it'll come up um, because that is all expert information. And we do cover all of the options. And um, there's a lot of lifestyle on there. Um, so, so that's that. Now, menopause in the workplace, .co.uk for all things for employers or menopause friendly, hop over and you'll be able to check out who, which organisations won the awards 
um, for the most menopause-friendly employer of the year, for example, or the most open workforce. Check out, see if one of your employers is on there. Um, and, and if not, do feel free to say to them, isn't it about time we got started on our journey? And lastly, is there anything else you'd like to add to the conversation we've been having today at all? Well, I'm hoping that this is going to be the biggest ever World Menopause Day. Um, It's certainly very different to the 2015 World Menopause Day that I remember. Um, So I guess my finish would be, you know, let's all talk about menopause. It's starting um, to take shape. And the sooner we get to the stage where menopause is completely normalised and everybody knows what to do if they're experiencing it, it's better for us all. Um, So it'd be a call to action to say, take a moment. Sometimes it takes a bit of bravery but do talk about menopause. Thank you very much for being a guest today. Thank you very much, Beth. Lovely to see you again. You too. Thank you so much for listening to Intelligent Health's podcast, Movement is Life. And a big thank you to today's guest, Deborah Garlick, for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed our discussions surrounding the menopause. If you are interested in learning more, then please check out our bio below for more information. Remember, you can listen to previous episodes of the podcast and make sure you subscribe so you never miss another episode. As always, if you have any questions for us concerning this or any episode, then please email us at podcast at intelligent health.co.uk we'll be back soon with another episode but until then and before you go please leave us a rating and a review and make sure you share this episode with your friends